0: IndieCast is presented by UpRox's Indie Mixtape. Hello everyone and welcome to IndieCast. On this show we talk about the biggest indie news of the week. We review albums and we hash out trends. In this episode we talk about the new album by Snail Mail. My name is Stephen Hayden, and I'm joined by my friend and co-host, my favorite non-fungible token, Ian Cohen. (laughs) Ian, how are you? I think I'm
1: quite fungible. Thank
0: you very much. But um, yeah, I, I, we we
1: can go back to all the discussions that we had about like what's going to happen when I finally say something about I don't know Chugal that gets me booted off this podcast. But um, you would yeah. not
0: Chugal though. You you it's impossible to be it's impossible to be anti-Chugal. I don't know how anyone would strike out against that. Especially you know if you live in San Diego, <laughs> sunny all the time, perfect Chugal weather. Is it though? Absolutely, people don't, really choo-
1: people don't really chugle out here. It's more of oh, like man. kind of a reggae, a, a, a pop reggae loop.
0: Well, CCR is, I guess, Northern California, not Southern California. Yeah, so maybe they chugle different. more up in the North than in the South.
1: That's right. It's a little more like kind of foggy and swampy up there. Calif- San Diego, not a chugle town. However, I feel like I really am podcasting from the IndyCast capital of America, at least for this week. Because... There, there are a couple of things that are happening in America's finest city, as it's known. Like, that's the actual name I think San Diego gave itself. But um, I, I took a look at Casbah uh, Presents, Casbah being one of the uh, main music venues in San Diego. And I, w- I just want to tell the listeners what is happening in San Diego from... Wednesday November 3rd to to Monday uh, November 8th he, here are headliner acts all on different nights all on consecutive nights. we have we had no joy Cloud nothings uh, an indiecast favorite. then on Saturday night strand of Oaks followed by Riley Walker on Sunday night, which is like two people I think that are the biggest friends of the pod in in in, indie cast, in the indiecast realm and then, on monday night the 8th tokyo police club which i feel is oh, like wow the, that's like the band i think has been mentioned in our mailbag more than any other like our, yeah the IndyCast listenership is a tokyo police club uh fan club so the uh the
0: the, the tpc people they come yes. out in droves in our yeah. mailbag canadian it, band very absolutely it, it uh it, it really you know it, it gets a lot of the boxes. It, it checks a lot of the boxes, <laughs> I think, that band does. Yeah, you know, you should be hanging up some, uh, like, IndieCast merch at these venues. Maybe even brand it as, like, IndieCast Presents, even though we're not officially presenting yeah, these shows. So who,
1: it, are there people, like, just in San Diego hashing out trends, like, right under our nose? Like,
0: ah. I think I, it's I, become a movement. It's <laughs> become a movement of hashing out trends. It's, it's slowly rolling out into the country, because trends start on the uh Yeah, the, coast. yes, so I would the imagine coastal elite. <laughs> the coastal elites, that's where the trends start. It's also where the hashing out trend starts. Mm-hmm. And then in like two or three years, it'll finally filter to where I live in the heartland of America here in mm-hmm. Minnesota. Uh, so we're looking forward to that. <laughs> I, I see too that um, the first uh, tour date of the Pavement Reunion Tour isn't San Diego? Yeah, and I and,
1: and I know that's a strategy sometimes with bands. What happens is they'll the tour will start in San Diego because they kind of want to play a show that isn't going to be covered as much, right? Uh, like it's kind of like a practice run for when they play L.A., which is usually the first big time show. And you know, bands will tell me um, we don't really like playing San Diego all that much because the crowds aren't as good. Um and San
0: Diego stuck in the '90s, which may work to Pavement's advantage here. You know, well, exactly. That might be the thing. The '90sness of San Diego is going yeah. to be attractive to a band like Pavement. Yeah. I've heard that same thing about Vancouver. You know oh. that a lot of bands will start tours in Vancouver. I think, for instance, U two <laughs> will often start their tours in Vancouver. I, I, I covered the tour launch, okay, of of their tour in 2015, and it was in Vancouver. Vancouver, beautiful city, by the way. I don't know if we have any IndieCast listeners in, in Vancouver, but I, I I really like that city a lot. Um, I'm excited about the Pavement Tour. I saw them in 2010, and I, I loved it. I, I know there's mixed reviews <laughs> of that tour. You know, I I think the first show they played was at Pitchfork Festival. Was it? Okay. I, it was I saw them at Coachella. The first, it was like one of the first, and it wasn't very well received at Pitchfork. No, they, looked, they looked visibly bored. <laughs> but the show I saw, I saw them maybe two months after that, I thought they were fantastic. They were oh. they were locked in, great set. They were having a lot of fun. Stephen Malcolm was, like, dancing around stage with his guitar, very rock star-like. Um, I'm wondering, is this an area of contention for you and I? Because I love Pavement. I feel like <laughs> I've heard you take shots oh, yeah. at Pavement in the past. So, so you don't like Pavement? Like, why don't you like Pavement? So, here's the deal. I mean, I know that
1: we talk on Twitter sometimes about bands that people profess to love on Twitter and they don't really listen to in real life. Oftentimes, that's like Tom Waits or Sonic Youth. Those are the bands that are usually brought up as examples.
0: But Both great. And I will say I honestly love both of those acts. I just yeah, need to-, to put that caveat in there.
1: Yeah, Tom Waits, San Diego native. Anyway, um- yeah, I think with payment with me, it's it's kind of a bit to to mock them on Twitter. I do like payment. I do listen to payment, um, particularly uh, the first two albums. I know that uh, "Bite in the Corners" was a huge album for me in high school, and now it's kind of embarrassing. Just some of the lyrics, it gets
0: a little cringy. But
1: you know what? Like I'm-
0: ooh. I, you, you, I, you're just slipping that one in there like that is an unimpeachable. I, I fast.
1: For, I I like bright in the corners a lot. I fast forward through stereo like that, and that's the first song. So, but um, that, some of my favorite payment great songs are song. On that, some of my favorite payment songs are on that album. I love starlings of the strips, starlings of the slipstream, like uh, type slowly, like the, the, the softer ones. But anyway, I, I kind of I like payment. I kind of hate their influence on indie rock um so that that i mean i think maybe people feel this way about pearl jam in a way um how you know it's like Oh, i love this band i just kind of dislike what they hath wrought as far as bands sort of taking on that that image or that singing style but not really having the chop so
0: but pavement to me has almost a non-existent Influence at this point on in indie rock. I don't really hear anyone that sounds like them. I, I I know people always call Parquet Courts a pavement ripoff, which I've never understood. That uh. they don't sound anything like pavement to me. I I don't understand the the like what am I missing that like we're there a pavement ripoff? I can hear other post punk bands in Parquet Courts, but pavement to me, it's just never really been there. Like. Parquet Courts is a much more sort of propulsive band. And I yeah. think in Pavement as being a more chill band.
1: Yeah. I also think, though, that like the kind of lyrical style, it's both like kind of slack, but very smart. Um, I think there's just like a sort of. But Andrew mood.
0: Savage's vocals, though, are nothing like Stephen Malkmus's vocals. I mean, he's a much more sort of guttural, aggressive singer, and Malkmus is more laid back. I don't know. It, it, it's a pervasive comparison, so obviously other people are hearing it. I've just never understood that comparison. But So obviously, I know Stephen Malkmus once had a quote where he said he heard a Parquet court song in a coffee shop or something, mm. and he thought it was a pavement song.
1: Isn't that so, like the Neil Young quote about hearing Horse With No Name?
0: Yeah. With, <laughs> <laughs> well, Bob Dylan said that when he heard Heart of Gold, that he thought it was a, one of his songs that he uh, didn't remember writing. Psycho so, I not so apparently musicians are just hanging out in coffee shops, hearing songs from <laughs> other people, and thinking that they wrote them. I was them. in the hipster coffee
1: shop. It's like that tweet. Yeah, like I, 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 I want I want artists to make up quotes like that all the time. Like just kind of side side eyeing bands. So
0: you know, good good for them. Yeah. When I listen to other indie rock podcasts, I always think, oh, that's IndieCast. Yeah, uh, but uh, <laughs> but it's not. It doesn't have all the hand- hashed, uh, it Doesn't have the trend hashing that we have on this show. No. Um should we talk about the Adele story? Uh yeah. I mean if- Yeah, thank God thank God
1: IndyCast isn't relying on vinyl, man, because we wouldn't be able to put on a podcast for like another
0: five years, thanks well, to let, her. Let's explain this. So apparently okay. Adele for her upcoming album, which is called Thirty. Yes. Um a huge indie rock album, by the way. Uh yeah. Thirty by Adele. Uh but anyway, she's ordering or she's pre ordering five hundred thousand vinyl copies to ship out. Uh, presumably feeling like this is going to be a huge vinyl purchase for people when it comes out. I I, I tend to think that this album is going to end up being like the Herb Alpert album that you see at Goodwill, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, like when we were kids and you'd go to Goodwill and you, you want to buy vinyl, it'd always be like a Herb Alpert album and maybe like the Saturday Night Fever soundtrack Wow! or Frapton Comes Alive. Like in 2031, it's going to be Adele 30, I think, at Goodwills across the country. Uh, but anyway, the, the larger issue here is that you have scores of, of smaller bands, indie bands, and everyone is smaller than Adele yeah. you know, in, in, in the music industry. Um, but there's a huge, you know, backlog of, you know, artists waiting to get their vinyl. And now here's Adele basically just hogging all the resources for Mm -hmm. herself. Uh, and it's an interesting example of, of what's going on in the music industry, probably at large right now that Mm -hmm. you have a very small 1% of artists who dominate everything. And there's really no middle class anymore. And everyone is below that one percent and they're scrambling for the scraps Mm -hmm. uh well
1: first off i i I appreciate you deviating from what would be the expected indie cast reference for uh used like used albums usually that's like monster or fairweather johnson in the the ucd store
0: but i meant like for vinyl yeah vinyl record like like when you go buy vinyl
1: I never heard that one with Herb Alpert, but that is like The Whipped re- Cream and Other Delights, that oh, album God, is... Oh, okay. That's yeah. everywhere. Yes, that, it is.
0: The, I'm sure if you go to Goodwill now, you, you can still find a copy of <laughs> Herb Alpert's Whipped Cream and Other Delights.
1: Yeah, so, I mean, this is a very... This is very interesting as a talking point, because, like, on, I would say, at least half of our episodes, we kind of consider the ultimate effect of like what happens when like music journalists or publications genuflect to power when they dedicate re like what are essentially virtual resources to the biggest pop acts. Cause you know, indie bands or indie listeners will say, no, well, how, how's our band going to get coverage? And you know, there's kind of unlimited internet, but what we've seen after the pandemic is, you know, first it was touring where every, you know, once uh, venues started to open up, indie like smaller indie bands are like well all the holds are being taken up by bigger bands and there's only so many venues so we're kind of fucked we can't get out on the road and now with vinyl once again there's only so much vinyl to go around and I don't know if it's Adele herself so much as like the label or the vinyl manufacturers because I don't know about the deals but like 500,000 Adele vinyls those are gonna move you're guaranteed to sell those I don't know if they're gonna end up being back in Whatever goodwill exists in 2031, but people are saying, "Are there 500,000 Adele vinyl buyers?" Absolutely, there are. Like, even if you just hang it on your wall, uh, people are that there. I have like so little doubt that 500,000 Adele vinyls are going to move. As a matter of fact, they probably are going to need to do like a second repress. Like, I would love to see like the Brooklyn vinyl exclusive, like the 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 black splatter. Or like all these like, like how indie bands like make like 10 different variants of like the same vinyl where it's just like, this is green splatter, or this looks like a Neapolitan. I, I hope Adele does that as well. Like the Urban Outfitters exclusive too.
0: This is a, this is a quick uh, uh, tangent here, but uh, did you see that one of the songs on the new Adele record is called I Drink Wine? Hey, who can relate? I mean, does this show that Adele is getting a little meta on her records now? I mean, that just seems almost like a Adele parody track <laughs> that she's sneaking under her own album. Yeah. Um, you know, I don't want to get too much into this because I think I'm going to write a column on this at some point in the next few uh, weeks. But hoard, Hoarding the gold, aren't you? <laughs> well, well, but I feel like a conversation that's not happening right now around mm-hmm. a topic like this. Because, you know, when we talk about Adele... Either yeah, you know, I mean inadvertently screwing over indie bands. I mean that's not her intention, but this idea that you know she's putting out all this all all this vinyl and that might make it difficult for an indie band that needs vinyl when they're going on tour to sell to fans. It's going to make it maybe harder for them to be able to press their records. A conversation that I don't think we're having is why are people so obsessed with buying vinyl as a <laughs> physical music. Item. I mean, I'm a buyer of physical music, so I'm you know I'm in I'm in favor of that, and I also like the idea that you're going to buy a vinyl record because you want to support the band that you love. Mm. I think that's a great idea. But you know, I I see like a lot of indie bands now. You go on Bandcamp, and they might have you know the digital version of the record that you can download, and they have a vinyl, and they're not even bothering to press a CD anymore. Even though CDs are cheaper, I think they sound better. You know, you don't need, like, a like a $10,000 turntable to make a CD sound good. You can buy a $5 boombox from, you know, a thrift store, and it'll sound as good as anywhere else. Um, I just feel like, can we just admit that vinyl's overrated at this point And that maybe, maybe, that if your favorite band is having a really hard time pressing records... That as music fans, we should just decide. Hey, maybe we'll buy this other format that, in many ways, is better than vinyl. I know it doesn't have the totemistic uh, appeal to it. It you know, it, but honestly, you know, we we make fun of NFTs. Yeah. How is vinyl different than an NFT? Well, I, mean, I mean, isn't it just as like excessive in a lot of ways? Yeah, but I
1: can ha- like if if I were like a twenty something like single dude, I could hang up like a vinyl copy of Unknown Pleasures or something like that, and you know get my personality across in a way that an NFT couldn't. But um yeah, I I, I mean I, I we were kind of joking about this, but I remember a few weeks or maybe months ago our f- friend of the pod Alex from the band Infant Island talked about how the next Infant Island album probably wouldn't be coming out till 2023 because of a uh, because of vinyl delays. And um with I mean, I think I've I own vinyl but, like, not actively. Um, I think the the vinyl oversaturation point actually came, like, I I swear to God this happened literally yesterday. I walked into the kitchen at work, and um, they were listening to Death Grips, and they were, A, shocked that I knew who they were, and, B, this person's like, yeah, I own the money store on vinyl. And and I don't know if, like, you really need to hear (laughs) I've seen footage on vinyl to get all the warmth and nuance of a Death Grips track that is that they intended but i mean i i don't know i i i would I, i'm like as we speak looking on amazon at Discman, and like i i'm sorry man i got it i want the mega bass version like i i want to <laughs> hear right. my favorite albums with mega bass um, yeah
0: you gotta have the mega bass yeah, the digital can't, can't mega there's, bass there's no mega bass on a turntable baby you can't there's no mega bass uh button on there you know your death grip story made me think about that story about james Gandolfini and and dookie i think we talked about this on the show at some point
1: <laughs> that's like there's, indie that is like in like like wheelhouse
0: indie cast it involves the sopranos dookie and vinyl <laughs> yeah i mean there's a story michael and Perlioli told that james Gandolfini liked to listen to dookie on vinyl in his trailer <laughs> on the set of the sopranos and it's like I love James Gandolfini, but Dookie is a CD, okay? That is that like was, the CD. That is, that is the format it originated in. This is not a Blue Note jazz record from the 50s yeah. that you're buying on vinyl because that's the way it was originally pressed, and maybe you, could, you feel like, well, this is the way I need to listen to this. I need to listen to John Coltrane on vinyl. Dookie is not that okay. No. <laughs> it is a CD, and I, just, I and I just feel like if if we're at the point now where indie bands have to delay the release of their record a year or even two years, yeah. In the, in the instance of was it Infant Island, you said, yeah, uh, Infant Island, and also
1: like our our boy Keegan from Camp Trash said that their album. Release was delayed by five months for the same for the supply chain uh, bottleneck. And
0: I mean, music fans are the ones we're creating that. I I, you know, I I just think we have to own that as music fans. We can Mm -hmm. blame Adele, but that is us saying no. We need to buy vinyl, and we're gonna make we're gonna make these bands wait because we need our vinyl records. And I just feel like, do you need to buy vinyl like all the time? Why not CDs? I like CDs a lot. I have vinyl too, but I just feel like the uh, the cult of personality around vinyl, like if, if an object can have a cult of personality. It can. It It's just out of control. I just yeah. think we need to rein it in a little bit. But I also think, like, I don't know what the profit
1: margins are with vinyl. I, I, I don't know, like, how reliant bands are on that
0: to make income. It's kind I mean, of a- wouldn't a CD be cheaper to produce? I think I, so. <laughs> I mean, it's hard for me to believe that the profit margin. I mean, I guess you can charge way more for a vinyl record, mm. but I just feel like a CD mm. is that less than a dollar to produce? I guess I don't know. Yeah, it's been. Um, it's
1: been I I forget. I, I it's it's been extremely. It's been an extremely long time since I bought. Um, you know that that spindle of blank CDs to go to the radio station and like. And dub uh, the copy of ours distorted lullaby. So I can't really
0: say what the pricing's been. Good since. job working an Hours reference. I, that's going to be something we do in every episode. <laughs> just dropping references to distorted lullabies. So I don't know. I I've, I imagine we're going to get some mailbag questions about what I just said. And I understand. Look, like, look, buy what you want. You know, uh, support bands any way that you can. I'm just merely suggesting mm. that you don't always have to buy the vinyl and it might be good to buy another format sometimes that's, that's all I'm saying yeah but i think i'm going to write something about this soon i i've been threatening to write a a takedown piece about big vinyl for a while now i think i need to finally follow through yeah, on that yeah big big vinyl watch out man your days are we'll numbered we'll see i know i know the uh <laughs> it's going i'm like russell Crowe and in the insider you know they're going to be putting <laughs> bullets in my uh mailbox uh you know from like like Jack White will be sneaking uh we'll be sending private detectives after me. Um let's get to our mailbag segment. Yes. Um and uh thank you all for writing. It's always great to hear from our listeners. You can hit us up at Indiecast Mailbag at gmail dot com. You can also uh interact with us on Twitter at IndyCast One and uh that's always a fun place. Yeah. We have good times over there. You had a good tweet <laughs> recently <laughs> Uh, About you're gonna uh, give me shit about not about
1: hoarding my own personal gold well no no it's
0: (laughs) sometimes you tweet things from your personal account where i'm like this would this would it's almost too niche for your own account but for the IndyCast account it would have been perfect but i was just going to compliment you on your tweet uh comparing band photos of war on drugs and wilco (laughs) yeah there's there's like a mini trend of bands just going in like sitting on couches and beds and small apartments and spoon did one like the next
1: day where it was like five guys in a slightly bigger, uh, room. So it's like, okay, I guess Austin's still technically cheaper than those two cities, but well, they
0: were, spoon was like at a restaurant. Oh, okay. And, uh, like the other guys are sitting at a table, like drinking soda. And then Britt Daniels, like sort of like lording over them. Yeah. Like he's going to go Robert De Niro in the untouchables, like with a baseball bat and just knock someone out. Uh, it's kind of a weird photo. But anyway, uh, let's get to our questions here. Do you want to read the first one? Uh, yeah, because, th- I mean, God, we're, we're talking
1: about CDs. This one's really, th- th- this is like the epitome of IndieCast uh, mailbag questions. So, it comes from Brennan in Minneapolis, Minnesota. First, yeah, there, that is IndieCast territory. That's
0: right. We, we had a lot of San Diego talk today. I'm glad that we can wrap Minneapolis, the other headquarters for IndieCast.
1: So the other night, my wife and I were going on a nostalgia trip, listening to soundtracks that were formative for us in our youth. Again, now that we're both wife guys here on IndieCast, this <laughs> like this, this is like almost like an IndieCast mailbag bot so far. Anyway, so the some of the soundtracks they were listening to were "Cruel Intentions," "Intro, intro to Placebo," "Blur," and the best County Crows song of all time. Wow, that's colorblind. Yes, "Batman Forever." This soundtrack shouldn't be as good as it is. Romeo and Juliet, top five radio head song of all time. Of Ooh. course, they're talking about talk show host. Yes. The, um, the bridge between the Benz and OK Computer, train spotting, yeah. The Crow, and more. Wow. It would seem the importance of soundtracks has dissipated in the age of streaming. I have a memory of my mom dropping $20 plus at Sam Goody for the Reality Bites soundtrack strictly because of Lisa Loeb's Stay. <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> so, wow. I have, so, I wow. ha- yeah, uh, so I have two questions. One, what is your favorite movie soundtrack of all time? And two, in the era of Spotify playlists, Siri and Shazam and Instant Access, does a movie soundtrack still have any cultural significance aside from a playlist to enhance a film experience? Or is it only really relevant in the case of a production like In the Heights or other musical driven movies? Love to hear your thoughts. Brennan
0: Minneapolis. Yeah, you know, uh, thank you, for, uh, Brennan, for the great question. You know, I was trying to think of the last really impactful soundtrack black panther i was gonna say that's the only one i could think of beyonce did that one for the lion uh, king yeah for the lion king but i feel like that didn't really move the needle no not
1: not nowhere near as much as the original lion king but yeah like i thought of black panther and i really couldn't
0: think of other ones of original material yeah i mean it really was like the 80s and 90s yeah seems like that was the peak of soundtracks like what are your favorites Okay, so I mean you would think that the you well if
1: we're gonna restrict it to like soundtracks of mostly original material um, I, you would think singles is like the obvious indie cast choice but if you look on Spotify right now, it doesn't have the mother love bone song. it doesn't have the mud honey song about Seattle being overexposed and, Also, it doesn't have fucking Drown. Oh, uh, man. Yeah. Especially
0: pumpkins. Yeah,
1: you can only get, like, the three and a half minute edit of Drown on Spotify. And, like... Of course, you do want that. Yeah, of course, like that just sort of gives lie to the fact that singles is meant as like a Seattle scene soundtrack. Like the best songs from a Chicago band, and Paul Westerberg kind of holds the whole thing together.
0: Well, I wouldn't say it was the best song because the two the two Pearl Jam songs are, are pretty classic. Those are like the really good Pearl Jam songs. Um but
1: you know I have to give some honorable mentions. Last Action Hero, terrible movie, <laughs> really great pop metal soundtrack. It's got Def Leppard, ACDC's big gun um a seven minute anthrax song which is kind of tight um uh i think that uh romeo and juliet for talk show host alone but also garbage is number one crush very much of its time uh the sneaky great cruel intention soundtrack yeah um, that was a mainstay when i worked in the gap in 1988 there was a song from david garza called slave which i can still remember the chorus despite not having heard it in 22 years imagine my surprise when i found out like the slave guy was a big contributor to uh Fetch the Bolt Cutters.
0: Now, not to get into another pronunciation uh battle on this show, but is it David Garza? I remember uh, it being it probably is fuck. Like the most pretentious uh, pronunciation no. well, of may- David ever. I don't
1: know. Maybe it's like maybe it's be- like I know in other countries or they may be pronounced like that, but anyway. Also, like that that soundtrack was like uh, that epitomized like the grunge. Uh singer songwriter uh, going a little more mature. It's got uh, Scott Weiland, "Lady Your Roof Brings Me Down." Chris Cornell doing "Sun Shower," and the best David, the best Duncan Sheik song, uh, "Wishful Thinking." Wishful thinking. Oh, wishful thinking's on there. Yeah, Powers okay. over, barely breathing, and she, uh, run- she, whatever that other song is, she runs um, away. I yeah, she, she runs away. But if I got to choose one for like the most impact, of the original material, it's got to be the crow. Uh, the Cure's is burned that's like their best song post wish it's got big empty on it that's Don't how I discovered. yeah that's how i discovered joy division through a nine inch nails cover uh some pretty good pantera helmet uh and rage against machine b-sides but for me the reason i still listen to the crow to this day is the rollins band cover of suicides <laughs> ghost rider this is like the funniest song i've ever heard in my life
0: oh uh, man I, that's a that's a that's a golden oldie right there.
1: Yeah, I I you know, it, it, it took me years to realize that it was actually a cover and not like Rollins band's big big uh follow up to Liar. Um <laughs>
0: you, <laughs> like, That's I, a funny I, song too. We should we should do a Rollins <laughs> band episode because there's some pretty funny Rollins band.
1: <laughs> yeah, Ro, Ro, Rollins band kind it, it was like sort of like if pit, if the idea of pissed jeans wasn't fully developed yet, um, but yeah, like it's it, it it's not. It, it, I'm like just laughing thinking about it. We gotta like I gotta let you take take the lead here because if I think more about Rollins band covering Ghost Rider, I'm just gonna like laugh I mean, like like Mr. Burns thinking about the crippled Irishman.
0: There's a whole generation of people out there. I feel like that only know Henry Rollins from black flag or they know him for doing spoken word stuff i feel like mm. rollins band is a lost chapter in a way yeah in the henry rollins story you don't really hear a lot of callbacks to rollins band at this time but like you know in the early 90s they were a pretty popular band yeah low self-opinion
1: it was yeah. like it, he was like <laughs> doing like motivational speaking i don't know I, right. I i just want to start a band to just say for no real reason yeah we're really influenced by Wait era rollins band just to see if like people will reprint that
0: you should you should be in a band that covers henry rollins cover of ghostwriter like you the, you play ghostwriter in the style of of rollins band I don't think forget that'd be
1: the amazing. bird <laughs> like i was so disappointed when i learned that like kind of outro ad-libbing was not actually on the original
0: yeah exactly it's like yeah take that suicide yeah henry rollins he totally one-upped you with that Yeah, one. it's like the
1: all-along-the-watch towering of it. <laughs>
0: it is now the definitive version. <laughs> way more comic. Um yes. So you covered the 90s really yeah. well there. I feel like you mentioned every significant 90s soundtrack. At least, that at, at least in, the uh, in the rock realm. In the rock realm. Above the
1: rim, I mean, there's so many great rap
0: soundtracks that we, we can't
1: get to. But
0: uh, So I, I just want to cover some 80s soundtracks that I like, and for those of you out there who are still listening to the war on drugs album on repeat i know i've been doing that this week uh there's some really great soundtracks uh, for like shiny aor rock in like the mid 80s uh three particular that i really like are miami vice uh the tv show not the not the film you got jan hammers theme song which is just one of the coolest theme songs of all time. Probably the coolest theme song of all time. Yeah. You have the Color of Money soundtrack, which uh, has a totally ridiculous Don Henley song on there. Uh, it has uh, <laughs> Werewolves of London by uh, Warren Zevon. There's like some bluesy songs on there. There's uh, Eric Clapton's It's in the Way That You Use It on that. Oh. S- <laughs> that's that's on Eric that Clapton? Album. That's
1: Clapton, yeah. I know that fuck, man. I'm like I'm like in the wood paneled basement of like my neighbors right now. Like, right. oh my god. And
0: look, I know Clapton is canceled, but you know, cheesy beer commercial Clapton, I still have a soft spot for. So that's on that soundtrack. And the third soundtrack I have to mention is the Top Gun soundtrack. Yeah, of course, you got- in San Diego. <laughs> Another San Diego ref. Are you taking money from like the C- the San Diego like Chamber of Commerce? I feel hey, like I'm selling out if they're buying. So. major product placement for San Diego in this episode. <laughs> but uh, yeah, Top Gun. Obviously, you have Danger Zone. Uh, Kenny Loggins on there. You also have an amazing Cheap Trick song on there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and again, it's just it. It's the epitome of like mid '80s synthie rock mm-hmm. uh, with a beer commercial edge. So. Those three soundtracks I really like from the 80s. And I'm also going to co-sign on pretty much every 90s soundtrack uh, that Ian mentioned. And I'll just say that in the case of the single soundtrack, which would probably be my favorite. Yeah. If I was going to mention, if I had to pick one out of all these. It's another case for buying CDs because you will get all those songs that aren't on the streaming services. You will get the Long Drown. You'll get uh, the Mother Love Bone song, which is the the greatest mother love bone song it's uh crown of thorns
1: yeah chloe dancer as well like yeah yeah
0: yeah the chloe dancer sort of prologue to that which which (laughs) really makes that song great it's like the grunge november rain it really is um so definitely find that on cd if you can uh let's get to our second question this comes from adam in oxford mississippi um Always wanted to go to Oxford. I heard that's Rockin a really rules. cool town. Oxford yeah. rules. Um, I got invited to, to uh, do a reading there once. Hmm. Uh, but I would have had to... It would have been a one-off. I would have had to drive oh. there and go back. Ugh. It not really seem worth it. But I maybe on my next book. I have a book coming out next year. Anyone in Oxford, if you want to invite me to come, I'd love to go there. I heard it's an awesome town. Um, I've loved the recent boom in Heartland Rock. Exemplified by the War on Drugs and other Steve Heiden favorites such as Strand of Oak*, Sam Fender, and the last two albums by The Killers. However, I always associated Heartland Rock with countryfied 80s sound, like John Cougar Mellencamp, early Steve Earle, and Tom Cochran's Life is a Highway. <laughs> Why is the more shimmery 2020 sound still called Heartland Rock if, it remo- if it's removed from its country Americana roots? Is it simply a Bruce Springsteen homage? More importantly, if I enjoy modern Heartland Rock, what are some relevant bands from the 90s and 2000s? Um, thank you adam that's a great question
1: (laughs) yeah it is a great question and i i I feel as if what anything i say is just going to be mere prologue to because this is like right up your alley but uh, what i what i i I have thought about that as well because you know heartland like the heartland rock is now kind of seen as like the war on drugs a band from philadelphia who now lives in la um but i think heartland rock like a lot of genres starts out as, like, being descriptive of what it actually is. You know, like, for example, emotional hardcore, rhythm and blues. And eventually, it just kind of gets turned into a vibe, you know, like, oh, that's emo, that's R&B. Kind of getting away from, like, the etymological roots of the genre, you know, just to put on my uh, University of Texas press hat there. Um, and, but 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 now, like, I, I think with Heartland Rock, it's just kind of more a vibe if it makes you think of like being in a station wagon um then it's heartland rock i mean i think the hooters and we danced is heartland rock even though that band's from philadelphia um is bruce springsteen like i mean does that mean new jersey's the heartland as well or is it just kind of like a blue collar sort of thing
0: Yeah, well, and also Tom Petty is often used now as a Heartland Rock signifier, even though he's from Florida, and then maybe Gainesville. Gainesville
1: is kind of that's that's kind of Heartland.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think now when people talk about Heartland Rock, what they're really saying is that it's reminiscent of Born in the USA and maybe Full Moon Fever, like those two albums. Um, So it is more on the synthy '80s side than. what uh, Adam is pointing out here, which I think is a totally relevant point, which is that you know someone like John Mellencamp, who's from Indiana, the actual heartland, if like you to songs find it,
1: oftentimes about India, like about the heartland, and or
0: someone like Bob Seeger, who's from Michigan, Ooh, yeah, and those two guys haven't really been absorbed into the indie rock canon in the same way that Springsteen and Petty have. Mm -hmm. And it's a really interesting breakdown because in the eighties, they were all grouped together. They would have all been described as heartland rock. Mm -hmm. And really now someone like John Mellencamp, you hear his influence on country music. Yeah, It's called country music. Someone like Chris Stapleton, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, uh, Eric Church. The life is a highway cover. I hear in the supermarket all the time. Yeah, exactly. So in a way the like john mellencamp side you could argue is even more influential because you know people like eric church and chris stapleton they sell way more records than yeah. even the war on drugs who are a really popular band but i mean chris stapleton is one of the biggest stars in modern music right now yeah. um you know in terms of uh, bands from the 90s and 2000s you know there was that bumper crop of bands that were influenced by springsteen in mm-hmm. the in the two thousands, you know, the hold steady. Yeah, uh, I think Drive By Truckers yeah. would be in that camp. You know, Gaslight Anthems, 59 Sound. I think I, that was a little boss influenced. I, absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> I think you could group those all uh, into the Heartland Rock uh, umbrella. You know, in that era, certainly Arcade Fire at the time of Ooh. Neon Bible in the Suburbs. Those are two like pretty Heartland Rocky albums in terms of the modern definition i would actually say that like arcade fire they were doing what the war on drugs are doing now before the war on drugs but then mm. they went in the reflector direction yeah and the war on drugs just stole their mojo with loss in the dream well, and like and, and they've assumed that i mean arcade fire is still really popular yeah but,
1: but they they went for more of a lyrical approach as well as far as like heartland rock they were more like kind of big and conceptual um and you know kind of subjected themselves to more potential embarrassment.
0: Right. I you know, Arcade Fire, they're an intriguing band. I'm really curious to see what they do on their next record, which I <laughs> i feel like I'm going <laughs> to regret at some point. I know after everything now, I think I even wrote this in my review, that I was like, I'm good. I'm checking out of this band now. You know, Let me know when they make another album as good as The Suburbs. Um, but it's been a while now, and I'm curious because... They're one of those bands that, um, I feel like I dislike as much as I like, you know, they're, they're, they're very hit or miss for me, but I'm always going to be curious about what they do because when they hit, they hit big. Oh yeah. So, you know, maybe the next one will be another classic. We'll, we'll have to see. Um, let's get to the meat of our episode. Uh, snail mail they're uh, also known as Lindsay Jordan, her new record Valentine is out today. It's the follow-up to her 2018 debut, Lush, which is one of the more acclaimed indie albums of the last few years, I would (laughs) say. Um, And like the first record, the new album is very personal. Uh, Lindsay's singing a lot about... Romantic turmoil, breakups going on. She's also singing a lot about indie fame. And that's. Oh, yeah. My, I wrote a review of this record uh, that was published on Thursday on Uproxx. And that was something I wrote a lot about in my review. If you look at the songs on this record, nearly every song has at least one lyric that could be construed as a reference to Lindsey Jordan basically becoming indie famous maybe before she was ready to be indie famous. I mean, she was 18 when that first record came out, and there was so much attention on her, so many profiles. She played so many music festivals. At a time in her life where most people her age are just, you know, doing bong rips and playing video games and maybe going to a college class every now and then. A very stressful lifestyle, and it does seem like it took a toll. I mean, she's talked about how she went to rehab uh, for 45 days uh, after that tour cycle ended. And uh, it seemed like she really had to decompress from that period uh, before she made the second record. Um, but now she's back with Valentine. And, and again, she's getting a lot of positive attention. This is getting really good reviews. Um, and it seems like she's back on the hype train oh, yeah. with this record. And I'm curious, what do you think of this album? Because for me, she's a curious case because I like this record. Mm-hmm. I liked her first record. mm mm-hmm. Um, I think that there's some hyperbole with how people talk about her. <laughs> um, and I I want to like phrase this carefully because it's similar to our Parquet Courts conversation uh, that we had an episode or two ago, where Parquet Courts to me I feel like all their records are good. Mm-hmm. I don't think they've made a great record, but I think they make good records. And it's almost like in this age that we're in now, you know, music critics almost feel this compulsion to be hyperbolic about everything because we, we, we're we so afraid that people aren't going to read our review or listen to the podcast or whatever. So things either have to be great or they have to be terrible or they have to be world-changing or they have to be actively bad for society. And it's like, some records are just good hmm. and they don't really mean anything beyond that. Hmm. And I'm kind of there, I think, with Snail Mail. Okay. I think she's really good, but it's also not earth-shattering to me.
1: Yeah, I mean, if we're talking about like CDs, um, what what's what struck me about this album is that how much like this was a CD for me. I think of it in the context uh like well, to backtrack a little, what this album is is a classic breakup album, like a classic indie kind of pop breakup album. It takes the narrative, it has like kind of a conceptual arc and it reminded me of Albums like uh, of uh, Transatlanticism or Jimmy World's Futures, like these out, these albums I listened to at twenty two and twenty three or twenty four years old, where um, I would pretty much generate my worldview about what relationships were like from these very hyperbolic uh, emo pop albums, and I think it it I mean it in as a very positive statement that this is what Valentine reminds me of. It's a very uh, well-proportioned, well-produced, 32-minute album, no filler whatsoever. Uh, Goes from like, starts off with the banger, and then it has like kind of the funkier songs, and then the quiet song at song five. Um, And, you know, I think it's it's a vast improvement over Lush. I thought Lush was kind of kind of dull as far as the music part goes um you know the lyrics are great obviously talented but kind of samey and I think this one really uh you know expands beyond like the you know guitar like the dry guitar drums bass format um for me like I thought this would be an album that might be embraced as an album of the year mostly because there hasn't been this, you know, like a uh, Lana Del Rey, Norman fucking Rockwell, or fetch the bolt cutters, like gauntlet, like this is it right here. Like this speaks to our existence in 2021. And, um, and yet I think like snail mail is like kind of a unifier in a way that, um, in a, in a weird way that Phoebe Bridgers m- like might not be, because I think some people find like Phoebe Bridgers a bit much, but you know, with snail mail, like her kind of being out of the spotlight, Um, And not quite projecting that cult of personality, it's kind of easier to delve into this music and not think about all the baggage. Um, But I think you've seen the, like, but also it seems to me just be like a very good, uh, it's like a very good album and doesn't speak beyond itself.
0: You know, in terms of like the album of the year conversation, I'm gonna put my money on the Weather Station record as Uh being the critical (laughs) consensus, at least in the indie world. I could see that being the top pitchfork record. Of the year so so book that right now i'm going to predict the weather station record tops tops their chart even though i know you and i are sort of uh what like meh on that album a little bit i need to go back to it. i know when it came out it didn't really hit me uh in a strong way but i just think there's a lot of goodwill with, with 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 just that artist in general and also the climate change aspect of the record i think music critics are gonna latch onto that as it being as it's speaking to the moment, you know, because that has to be an element in every record that mm-hmm. tops a list. It has to speak to the moment in some way. But also and, this
1: this album talks about like indie fame, which has been like a common thread amongst uh, artists like Lord and Claro, and I think this album does it in a much more um interesting accessible way so maybe that's it
0: i don't know yeah that could i don't know i I, i'm I'm putting my money on weather station so out there if there's any handicappers out there (laughs) you know the the, i don't know off track betting sites yeah right I i don't know if my take's gonna move the needle at all on that but i'm putting my money on weather station topping i'm gonna say the pitchfork list at least yeah and maybe stereo gum i could see it topping their list um I feel like we have to do a shout out to Brad Cook, who is the co-producer of this record. Yeah. He's really emerged as one of the... The good Jack Antonoff. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like one of the big producers in, in indie rock right now. Uh, one, like one of the most notable albums that he did in recent years is St. Cloud by Waxahachie. Uh And in a way, this record reminds me of that one a little bit in terms of... Yeah just the classiness of the production mm-hmm. and this and as you said, you know this album is much more diverse musically than lush was. Lush was basically a throwback 90s indie guitar record yeah and there was a lot of talk at the time of like Lindsey Jordan being a shredder. You that know is. she was she was called a shredder a lot back then, and she talked about loving you know Kurt Vile, Steve Gunn, Mark Koslick you know people like that. Uh, maybe she wouldn't talk about Mark Kozlick now, but yeah. anyway. Um, in this album, the guitar is de-emphasized much more than was the case on Lush. There's some guitar jams on here, but again, as you said, she's dabbling in R and B. There's a lot of strings on this record. There's a lot of synths, and I think uh, you know Brad Cook. His assistance on there, I'm sure, was instrumental, you know, no pun intended, in Aww. expanding the palette on this record. And he just seems to be like a go-to guy if you just want a good, naturalistic, again, classy sound. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is a record, it's it, it's in a sense like a level-up record, mm-hmm. I think you could call it that. It's her, I think, you know, trying to grow beyond the first record, but there's also like... a a, a modesty to what Snail Bail does that I think is mostly endearing, although it it prevents me from going over the top with praising this record. Okay. Again, I think if it was like a little more ambitious, or there was like a little bit more of a of a grander vision on this record, and the and you know the feeling that you get. From a Norman fucking Rockwell, for instance. You know, like where you feel like, oh, this is like a major statement. Like I don't get a major statement vibe from this album. I think again it's a very good record. Maybe the major statement's gonna be her third album because again, she's still really young. Yeah. Uh I think she's twenty-two now. So I mean, she's got a lot of time to evolve and to grow and to mature as an artist. Um, I just feel like the modesty of this album might prevent it from being that album of the year candidate. That critics really want to go for
1: yeah but i also uh, i also think in 10 years like people will like look back on this one as being um either like kind of like an album like uh rilo kiley's uh the execution of all things or um just like an album that's like really 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 beloved um by is this like the shoots
0: too narrow of the snail mail catalog it could be i don't i i don't i don't know like how o inverted world for the shins that's more of like a straight ahead guitar pop record and then they come out with the more ornate elaborate second record i could see that being a parallel yeah
1: i i I just I, i i do think that this out like it is really hard to find and i'm like this this tight this well constructed and just like filler free and also Oh God, it's just such a CD album. It, like the the kind of shininess of the production, the the throwback nature of it. Like I might just go ahead and buy. And also, I think like the it, I know like the album cover looks like a vinyl album cover, but man, I just wish they'd make a CD variant of that so I can you know like get back into my my throwback years of like living in Athens, being twenty three. Like, drinking Sparks and being, like, super sad and, like, not realizing
0: I have, like, an entire life ahead of me. (laughs) Ian, I will never argue with you when it comes to buying a CD. Yes. We've now reached the part of our episode that we call Recommendation Corner, where Ian and I talk about something that we're into this week. Ian, why don't you go first? Yeah, I'm not going to lie. This has
1: not been a great week for me uh, looking into new music. Um, I've been just kind of busy with like some work stuff and I've gotten pretty deep into the Planet Rave playlist on Spotify, uh, reading about like how a lot of TikTok artists and teenagers are into like rave and, and drum and bass. So I'm not necessarily going to recommend the Pink Pantherist album because like that album doesn't need our help. But I actually like that one a lot. It's like joyce Manor self-titled if it was like more minute and a half drum and bass songs but as far as song and now that's more within our wheelhouse i want to bring an album from a couple weeks back it's a super american a band a duo from buffalo new york uh their album i it, it's either soup or sup it it's just capital s-u-p and it is total defend pop punk music um I've been told it sounds like bands like Set Your Goals, which I've not listened to, but I kind of get the vibe. It's like 2012 pop-punk. Someone mentioned that this band could really kill a cover of The Flies got you where I want you. Oh there, my god. Yeah, which is a very specific sound, but there is kind of there's a little bit of like rap cadence on here. There's a bit of a sense of humor. At the same time, it's also just like a really sharp uh, album with like great hooks, like very, very big hooks. You can just kind of tell it's like, yeah, we're just doing the verse here. Okay, we're going to like put in the biggest chorus possible. Um, it's about 22 minutes long. Uh, it, it, if The first song is called Freebird. Um, so you kind of get a sense of like what their sense of humor is. Give it 22 minutes of your time. But more to, more to the point, give it two minutes of your time, and you can tell immediately. Like if it's if you like this kind of thing, you're really gonna like this album.
0: So I want to talk about a musician from Chicago. His name is Neil Francis. He has an album called In Plain Sight. It's out today. It's a second record, comes after his 2019 debut Changes. And uh, Neil, he has a pretty interesting backstory. Uh, when he was a teenager, he was considered a piano prodigy, and he actually. Like toured uh, Europe backing up Muddy Water's son <laughs> as he played presumably Muddy Water songs in clubs uh, on the other side of the pond. Uh, in the early 2010s, he formed a band called The Herd, which was like a pretty successful kind of funk R&B act, like a retro throwback band. Uh, and then he fell into addiction issues in the mid-2010s, but he cleaned up, and now he started a solo career. And on... Uh, his albums I would say that he makes what I call record collector rock. Like if you read the Aquarium Drunkard blog or like you like artists like Dr. John or the Meters or you know just swampy rock and R&B and funk from the 70s, you will love this album. You know there's great arrangements, there's great musicianships, there's like really cool like instrumental tones again that if you are a vinyl buyer, you're going to recognize them and really get into it. Um I kind of wish this album came out in the summer because it's excellent barbecue music. Although, I guess, if you're like Ian and you live in San Diego, it's barbecue weather all year round. So, you can just throw it on now and enjoy your backyard and have a great time. But, uh, yeah, this is a record I've been playing a lot. It's really fun. Pretty chugly. You know, if I can get right. a chugle reference into this episode. Um, it's called In Plain Sight. Definitely go check it out by Neil Francis. That about does it for this episode of IndieCast. Thank you all for listening. We'll be back with more news and reviews and hashing out trends next week. And if you're looking for more music recommendations, sign up for the Indie Mixtape Newsletter. You can go to uprocks.com backslash indie, and I recommend five albums per week, and we'll send it directly to your email box. (laughs)